Amen. What's up, buddy? Um, well, good morning. Glad to see you. Happy Mother's Day to the moms. Uh, glad you're here. Thankful for my mother. Um, right there. I see her. Uh, thankful for her and, and all she's meant to me and, and even my boys, um, her grandsons. And thankful for my wife, who is uh, a great mother, even though sometimes she doesn't give herself credit for that. I'm um, very thankful for her. And so I um, want to celebrate that with you guys today. Um, we're going to continue today in this series called To Be Continued. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts for some time. We started in Acts 1-1. We're now in Acts 27. So you can go ahead and turn there. Um, we started out in the series called To Be Continued because what we were looking at in the very beginning and throughout the book of Acts was how Jesus continued his work through his people, the church. And so Jesus' work did not stop with the crucifixion, with the, the burial, with uh, even his resurrection and ascension. He sent back the Holy Spirit, who the Bible tells us is just like Jesus, but not Jesus, to empower his people. That means us who have faith in Christ, who are the church, to continue to do the things that Jesus began to do. And so we started looking there, and now we're ending the book of Acts with to be continued because the book of Acts ends open-ended. And the reason for that is that it is to continue on. We are to carry this out further. Uh, this mission of Jesus, the purpose of the church has not ended. And so we're to continue doing this. Um, and so as we come to the end of the book of Acts, I wanna remind you of that, that we have a purpose and a reason for existing, and that is to carry the mission of Christ into the world so that, as we say all the time, um, that every person would know. And looking at Habakkuk 2.14, it tells us this, that um, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, that our purpose is to fill the earth with that knowledge. And so um, it should be continued. We're, we'll, we're still carrying this out uh, nearly 2,000 years later. And so Acts 27 um, we're, I want to set it up for you real quick. Last week, Jordan did a great job talking about how Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we've been looking at his life and how God used him for a few weeks now, um, how the Apostle Paul had been on trial uh, with the Roman officials, with the Jewish officials, uh, their religious officials, and um, his life literally was hanging in the balance in a lot of this. Um, as he was being put on trial, Paul, as a Roman citizen, um, appealed to Caesar, and they could do that. This would basically put them in front of Caesar's court um, to have their trial heard. And so he appeals to Caesar. Where we're picking up in Acts 27 is where Paul is now being put on a ship, and they are sending him to Rome. Um, the thing is, as with Paul and anything, it seems like it didn't go very smoothly. And so we're going to read about what happens here as Paul and uh, Luke and a man by the name of Aristarch Aristarchus is with him. Um, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and this brother who was traveling with them um, on this boat. And so I want to pick up in verse 13. As we're reading, they are on an island called Crete. And on this island, they were at a, a harbor in a place called Fairhaven. You can read this in the very first part of 27. And the, the point of it was that they didn't feel like Fairhaven, that harbor was a good enough place to uh, stay for the winter. It wasn't a, a harbor suitor, suitable enough 
to, to winter in. And so the, the captain of the ship and um, actually the guy who was the centurion for the Roman uh, army who had Paul, they all agreed we need to try to make it a little bit further uh, to get to another harbor. Now, the problem with this is it's getting kind of late in the fall and it wasn't a good time to sail. And Paul actually warns them in the first part of 27, look, we're better to stay here. If we don't stay here, we're gonna end up having all kinds of loss, loss of goods and uh, you know, even possibly life. And so he's telling them we need to stay put. Now, um, they don't listen to him. And, and Paul was speaking from a lot of experience. He had actually sailed probably over 3,500 miles. He's telling them these things, um, but they don't listen to him. And so where we're gonna pick up is in verse 13, where they're in this harbor, at Fairhaven, and then they decide they're gonna move on. So look at verse 13. It says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. I've got a picture I wanna show you. I don't wanna give you a um, geology lesson here, uh, or geography lesson, but I want you to see this. If you can look at um, this map, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's, as you come along this, this south end of this island where this jut out is, Fairhaven sat right in that area. Now, all they're trying to do, and Crete is not a very big island, all they're really trying to do is sail across this south end around this corner and get up kind of up this west side of Crete. And, and they feel like that's a better place for them to harbor, for them to make it through the winter. And so that's all they're trying to do. One thing I read said it's probably like 31 miles or so, 30 to 40 miles that they were trying to make. And so they, they take off and they're going. Now, this came alive to me the last two or three weeks that I've been reading it. And I've read it before, but I never really felt what I, I feel like they were feeling the way I did as we read it. So I read it again. So I want you to really listen to this. It says, as they set sail, this nice, easy breeze is blowing, gonna get them right where they need to go. It says, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And so it's blowing across this island, um, coming across and, and literally is about to blow them out to sea. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, it was a small little tiny island down south. He says, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. They're trying to hold this thing together. The storm is so bad. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, so listen, this was not like a 30-minute thunderstorm in the summer in South Georgia, right? This is lasting for days and blowing them. Like if, if that picture was bigger, you would see how much sea there actually is south of Crete. And so this is for days, they are being blown across the sea um, out of control. And so he says, uh, after they've gone a long time without work, now on the third day, they knew they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope 
of being saved. Paul, or Luke says we, meaning him, Aristarchus, Paul, the people there, there were 276, we'll see this later, people on this ship, they gave up hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Now, it sounds like Paul's sort of saying, I told you so, right? But it's not exactly what's happening. Paul is using that as a way of trying to leverage so that they would listen to him now. And so he's saying, you remember when I was right about this? Well, I'm about to tell you something else that I want to encourage you. And so he says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now listen, on the 14th night, 14 days of this now, 14, the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. It goes on. They end up um, being beached um, on a sandbar. The, the waves, as it's beached, are crashing against it. The ship comes apart. Uh, they start to kill all the, the prisoners, which would have included Paul. But the centurion steps in and says, no, don't do that. He wanted to spare Paul's life. Um, so they all end up making it to shore. And it says in verse 44 that in this way, everyone reached the land safely. Um, and we know that that was just as God promised Paul. So let's pray. We'll jump in. Lord, thank you for your word is truth, Lord. And we can see this story, this account of what happened. And Lord, I know in many ways, maybe not in a ship, but in many ways, our lives sometimes feel like we get blindsided. The storms come and we begin to be even despair of life at times, Lord, wondering if we can be saved. And yet, God, you're there, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that during this time we would be encouraged. Lord, would you let our faith arise, our trust in you, in your ability, not looking to our own ability, but your ability, God, in our lives, that we would trust your ability more and more, and that, God, the storms of our lives will become opportunities for your glory to be seen. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been on a cruise ship? Anybody ever been on a cruise? 
A lot more people on cruise ships at nine than 11. Um, this must be the poor service. Is that right? So um, I've been on one and uh, I was looking for a trip for Susan and I to go on one uh, anniversary. And uh, I found this deal. I was like, man, this is great. Like it was a really good deal on this cruise for like three or four days. And I'm like, we're going to do this. When we got to the boat, I figured out why it was such a good deal. It was old, right? I told Susan and we got on and we were sitting in there at the um, little meeting, the safety meeting they always have. And we're sitting there and, and I told her, I said, I feel like I'm on a floating Ryan's right now. You know, like we're just kind of at this floating buffet. That's what the whole thing felt like. And it was just kind of old. And I remember one night we were sitting there at dinner and it wasn't even bad weather. The seas had just gotten a little bit rough. And even with that, you could feel the boat moving all around and trying to sit at the table and eat. And I'm like, I don't even, I feel like I'm like getting seasick. I don't even know if I want to eat at this point. And so with just a little bit of waves, I, I could feel the boat moving and even sleeping at night at times was tough because you could feel the boat moving. And for me, it just was not um, something that I enjoyed very much. And I got to thinking about that in this case. Um, and I found out, I did a little research and found out that the average cruise ship holds about 3,000 people, but they go up to like 6,000 people. And so think about this, that this ship that Paul was on, they say would have probably maxed out at about 300. So just with the average cruise ship, the average cruise ship would be at least 10 times the size of this ship. And we know that there are storms, like no cruise ship sails into a hurricane right? And so when we look at this, think about this ship. It kind of reminds me of the SS Minnow, right? The tiny ship was tossed. You know what I mean? And so this little ship is cruising along the south end of Crete, this nice south winds blowing. And then all of a sudden, right? And it, this hurricane force wind catches them and is just driving them across the Adriatic Sea out of control, can you imagine the panic that they must have felt? So much panic, in fact, that we read up here in verse 20 that Luke tells us that they had this, this given up hope of being saved, that this storm had come across so badly and was blowing them so hard that they had given up hope of being saved. They're just kind of like, we're done. Just being driven 14 days plus days, just being driven across the sea. And I thought about that and prayed about it a lot. And I thought, you know, I don't know how many of us have ever been caught in a boat out in the ocean in a storm quite like this. Probably nobody, right? But the truth of it is we've all experienced these types of storms in life. Many times storms that come and it feels like they'll never end. It goes more than 14 days. Some of these storms can feel like they last for a decade, some of these storms seem unending. Some of these storms get us to this place where we despair of life, that we get to this place where we start to think there's no way we'll be saved. I, I, I don't know how I'll be delivered from this. And we go through these storms that bring loss. I mean, think about this, the, this, this natural storms, the hurricanes that hit the coast of the United States and the billions of dollars that they've cost um, and caused and damaged. And you think about though the, the storms we go through in life and the loss that we experience because of that. We experience loss through these storms that we encounter in life. Sometimes it's tragedy. People get hurt. We lose loved ones that, that 
that we feel like, man, this is just too soon. This is too hard. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. We see that damage is often done to us or people we love um, by the, at the hands of other folks so that there's loss of innocence at times. There's loss of this ability to trust and to love because we've been hurt and wounded. And now all of a sudden, I just can't hardly think about even getting close to anybody else. You've suffered loss. There's storms in life that bring disappointment like JC talked about earlier, for some of us, today is this day that reminds us of a great disappointment in our life. That we can't have children. And many ladies won't come to church on Mother's Day because they have to face this fact and this truth that other women are being celebrated and celebrating having children and they haven't been able to or they've lost one. And we look at that and there's disappointments in life that like storms come out of nowhere and all of a sudden our life seems like it's in this whirlwind. We have people who are disappointed because their marriage didn't turn out the way they thought it would when they stood there on that wedding day and they made those vows and they had this picture perfect life in front of them and yet now it didn't turn out the way they thought and there's great disappointment in their life. We have people who took off in life and career or in a business and they've tried things and it didn't work out and there's disappointment. And then there's a million little disappointments we face every day that can accumulate over time. We have storms in life that they just cause confusion. Every one of us in our life today, more than any other time in the history of the world, are bombarded by misinformation and untruths every single day that make us doubt if the things we've believed all of our life are true. Or are they right? Even when it comes to God's word, can I trust it? Because I'm hearing so many things that are contrary to it. We're just bombarded with misinformation and lies. And these storms come and they're unavoidable. We live in a fallen world where these things happen. And the thing I got to thinking about is how did Paul get through the storms in his life? Not just this one in the boat, right? But Paul constantly encountered difficulties, one storm after another throughout his life. How did he get through those? And even bigger, how can we get through the storms that we encounter? And I'm gonna tell you the answer um, and it's going to seem too simple. And it in and of itself could be disappointing. But the answer is faith. The answer is faith. And yet doesn't that seem in some ways kind of unsatisfying? Like you're telling me just have faith, right? Well, yeah. But doesn't that seem a little bit unsatisfying? In fact, how many times have you been told that in a difficult situation, well, just have faith? Just have faith. And sometimes it gets to the point where like the next person that tells me to just have faith, to just trust God, I'm gonna punch them in the nose, right? Because it just gets to that place where it becomes redundant. It just feels almost empty and hollow at times if we're being honest. When people say just have faith, just have faith. It seems too simple. But when we look at this, this is what Paul did. He lived the life of faith. When you think about faith, I want you to think about it maybe a little bit differently today than maybe you've ever thought about it. 
We talk a lot about grace here, and we define grace a lot as God's ability, specifically God's ability to do for me, in me, and through me what I cannot do for myself. God's grace is his unmerited favor, his unconditional love, but it's so much bigger than that. When you go through and read scripture, it is literally God's ability doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And when we look at faith then, I want you to think about faith today in this way. Faith is trusting in God's ability. Faith is trusting in God's ability. It's not leaning into and trusting in my ability. It's trusting in God's ability. Look back again at Acts chapter 21. It says this, after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God graciously Um, And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. So keep up your courage, men. Listen to this. For I have what? Faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now think about this. Where we started reading in verse 21, right before that, obviously, is verse 20. And in verse 20 is where Luke said we had despaired of life. But what happens next is Paul has this vision. The Lord sends a message to Paul and says, Paul, don't you remember the promise I made you um, back earlier in Acts? It's like God saying, do you remember a few chapters ago, Paul? He said, look, I promised you this, that you had to go and testify about me in Rome. And he's saying, so look, you've got to understand this, that what I promised you then, I'm going to fulfill. And Paul says now, he's reminded of this promise, and he says, you know what, I believe that God will do exactly what he said he will do. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going to trust that God in his ability is somehow going to pull this off. When we look at verse 20, just a few, you know, I don't know, hours, whatever, before, they're saying, we despaired of life. Like we, we knew we are not going to be saved. Then Paul is reminded of this promise. His faith arises and he's even able to encourage the other people by saying, God has made me this promise and I'm trusting in his ability to pull this off. While we cannot save ourselves and we can't make this turn out any way for good, understand this, that God can take it and he can do it in his ability. And Paul said, I have faith. I have trust that God will do what he has promised he will do. And that is the essence of faith. It's believing what God has told us in his word. It's holding on to these truths. It's trusting in God's ability and not leaning into my own. It's realizing that God's ability, his grace comes into my life when I quit trusting in my own ability and I begin to trust in his. 
so that when I'm in situations and storms, when it seems hopeless, when the pain is too great, when I don't think I can make it, when I can't take another step, I can look to God's word. And in, um, uh, in, in John 16, 33, he tells us, he says, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. But we sit there and we say like, Lord, it doesn't feel like you've overcome the world. Right now, this hurts, Lord. Right now, I don't see a way out of this, God. And yet, we look at it and we go, in my ability, there's no way through this. But in God's ability, he's going to make a way. And we hold to that truth. Even when we look at salvation, guys, salvation is a work of grace through faith. It is God's ability saving us and us just trusting in his ability to do so. Look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. This is Paul, the Paul that is on this boat that we're reading about now who wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And he says this in verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. I want you to listen to this a little bit differently. For it is by God's ability you have been saved through trusting in his ability. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by your works, not by what you can do, not by your ability that you've been saved so that no one can boast. In other words, it's saying this, that look, even our salvation is a complete work of God. And God's grace did for us what we could not do for ourselves through Christ Jesus. And now when we come to faith or a place of trusting in God's ability to save us and what he's done to save us, then something happens in our lives. Something changes. We're given new life. We come to a place of uh, seeing more clearly who God is and life begins to come. Life begins to enter as we begin to trust in God's ability. And here's the tension, guys, as we can sit here and talk about this, but I can tell you exactly what will happen. We can come in here and we can hear this. Okay, trusting God's ability, trusting God's ability, trusting God's ability, not my ability. When I get in a storm, hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the promises. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm tired, I can rest in the Lord. I can do these things. I know this, I know this, I know this. And, and yet when you walk out the doors today, the first thing that's gonna happen is your mind is gonna be so occupied with how do I work out these things in my life? What do I need to do? And the stress and the anxiety and everything else begins to build. Instead of this, instead of leaning into God and saying, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm still gonna put my hand to the plow and I'm not gonna look back, but God, I trust you that as I plow, as I move forward, as I go ahead, Lord, you're gonna make the way. So much of our energy is spent on trying to figure out and manipulate and make it work when the Bible is very clear. Jesus told us that if we'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. Yet how much energy, time, effort is wasted because we sit and we plot and we plan and we try to figure it all out. And God's saying, you know what? I sent Jesus so you could enter into rest. He even told you if you'd come to him, look, he would 
give you rest. He told you his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But we consistently try to do it our way on our own. See, we don't like to be dependent people. We like to be independent. And it's funny because that's what got us into the mess we're in now. And somehow we think that's going to get us out. And it's not. When we begin to trust God for his ability to do what only he can do, we begin to walk in faith. How do we come to faith? Where does faith come from? How do we even attain faith? The first thing I would tell you is this. You've got to come to a place where you admit your ability isn't enough. I have to come to this place where I admit my ability is not enough. I can't do this. I can't save myself. I can't produce life in myself. In fact, everything I put my hands to, it, it, it doesn't bring life. And I fight so hard to find life. I can't do it in my ability. God, I need you to do it in me. And when I come to the end of my ability and I finally recognize, and it literally brings me this point of despair, like I can't do this. Can't make it this way. Then I finally get to a point where I'm ready to yield it over to God. I'm ready to trust in his ability. And God gives us his word. I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 10. In verse nine, or yeah, nine, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not by your works, by your trust in God's ability and what he has accomplished in Jesus. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But listen to this. Go down to verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, how can anyone call on his name if they haven't heard, Right? And he says, listen, faith comes when they hear this message, this saving faith that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. He's like, but how can they, how can they profess? How can they believe? How can they grab hold of this? How can they begin to trust in God's ability to save them, not leaning into works and, unless they've heard the message? This message of Jesus is good news that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, that he came full of grace, God's ability. He came full of truth, God's design. And in God's ability, he's now brought us back into God's design for our lives. But until we recognize that and understand that, we have yet to come to faith. Until we see that, understand this, we have no faith. Until we come to this place of hearing this message of Jesus, that Jesus paid the price for my sin, that God's wrath was put on Christ so it wouldn't fall on me. 
And now by trusting in his ability to do for me what I couldn't do for myself in making me right with God, I now have peace with God. This enmity that existed, this, 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 this conflict that existed between me and God is done away with. Why? Because Jesus settled it once and for all. Jesus took the wrath. He took the enmity. He took the condemnation. So I wouldn't have to take it. But until I've seen this message, until my my eyes of faith have been opened, until I recognize this, understand, I have not come to faith. We see what happens when when people come to faith throughout Scripture. If you go to Matthew chapter 9, there's a man by the name of Levi, a tax collector, hated by the Jews because he took money from the Jews, gave it to the Romans, and took more than he needed, or more than he was supposed to, and kept it for himself. And so these, these tax collectors were hated. And yet Jesus comes by Matthew, he says, come follow me. This sinner that was hated by people, God says, you know what, I can use you. And he says, come follow me. And this man goes from this this raunchy dead life to coming to life and following Jesus. And Jesus takes this man, Levi, who we know by Matthew, and he uses him to write the very first gospel in the New Testament. If that's not crazy, then I don't know what is. If that doesn't show us the power of Jesus to transform a life in a moment, then I don't know what does. We go on and we find in places like Matthew 8, 1 through 4, where Jesus comes to this leper, considered unclean, um, should stay outside of the, the, the area of the, the normal people and live in a leper colony because he's contagious. And so he's, he's, he's been separated out and yet he sees Jesus and he comes busting through the crowd and he says, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches this man who is unclean. Yet Jesus doesn't become unclean. The man becomes clean. See, Jesus is outside of our way of thinking about it. It's outside of our religious mindset that says clean up and come to Jesus. No, Jesus says, guess what? You're a mess, but you know what? Bam, you're clean. You know what happens when the eyes of our faith are open and we see the gospel, the good news, we hear the message of Christ, we recognize I'm at the end of my ability. And so now I say yes to God's ability to save me through Jesus and what he's done. Bam, I'm made clean. We have scriptures like Luke 7, 11 through 15, where Jesus comes to this town and there's this widow lady and her only son is dead and they're carrying him basically um, in the coffin and Jesus sees and it says in this, it literally says that his heart went out to the lady. His heart went out to the lady. Isn't that something? That the heart of God goes out for us when we're hurting. And Jesus walks up to the coffin. Tell me this isn't a showstopper, right? He walks up to the coffin. He reaches up and touches this dead boy's body. And the boy comes to life. And everybody begins to rejoice. And it's a foreshadowing. It's not just to be a great miracle. Hallelujah, thank God for the miracle. But guess what? That boy died later. (laughs) At some point, like you hadn't had coffee with him lately. Right? At some point he died. But guess what? Jesus is telling us, I have the power of life and death. I have the power to overcome death once and for all. And those who will trust in my ability to overcome death, hell, and the grave will be raised just like this boy. But understand this. Understand this. 
until we've come to a place of seeing this and what Jesus has done and understanding I cannot save myself in my own ability and we finally come to the end of ourselves until we see that and we surrender ourselves to him and we say, God, I am done striving and straining and trying to make myself right according to this world and God, right now, I just surrender it to you and I trust in your ability to do for me in Jesus what I cannot do for myself. Until that moment happens, I have no life in me. If Christianity is just a formality to you, it may be, just possibly be. I'm not saying it is. I'm not telling you're not saved. This is what I'm telling you. You may not have come to faith. If you've never experienced the life of Christ, if you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, let me, let me put it to you this way because here's something else that has to happen. If there's never been a point of repentance for you, let me define that, a change of mind. If there's never been a point in your life where you saw this through the eyes of faith and you said, you know what? Here, here's the reality. I see Jesus clearly. And, and, I'm, and, and, and I've had this change of mind about Jesus. I've had this change of mind about myself. I'm not living in my ability anymore. I need Jesus. I need what only Jesus can do. If you've never come to that moment, that realization, this is who Christ is. You haven't come to faith. If you've never had a heart change about God, there's never been a time where your affection shifted towards God and it went from this, I don't really care about God or even I hate God to this moment of saying, I love you, Lord. I see what you've done for me, what you did and your ability that I cannot do. And I trust in your ability, Lord, not my own then you haven't come to faith. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the one who gives us a new heart. The Spirit is the one who changes our mind, brings us to repentance, turning from our sin and turning to God. We haven't come to faith. The Spirit of God, y'all, it, it is God. It is just as much God as Jesus and the Father. And the Bible teaches us that the Spirit is our guarantee of salvation. Like we know we are saved because the Spirit lives in us. He is a deposit, a down payment for what's to come. In other words, it's a taste of the heavenly life that we will once, one day live in fully. Have you received the Spirit? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Because the Christian life will not make sense until you have. And see, when those things happen and the Spirit of God is in you, and as Galatians 4, 6 tells us, the Spirit of God causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, in worship and thanksgiving. And when that begins to happen and our faith begins to grow and we begin to recognize and trust more and more in the power of God in his ability for our lives, listen, we're able to stand more in the storm. We have strength. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean there's not pain. 
but it means that I have a present, listen to this, I have a present faith that gives me a future hope. And that future hope gives me a present strength. And I am able to continue by holding on to the promises of God and trusting in his ability, not my own, as I press through the storms of life. And guess what? That's not even the end of it. That would be good enough, but you are surrounded by a family of believers to stand with you. I was talking with someone this week who had had a really hard time with their family and kind of felt disowned from them. It was hurting them bad, and I said, Listen, I know this doesn't make up for all of it, but you need to understand you have a new family. And it's this family of believers that surrounds you. And here's the thing I would tell you, when you think you can't take another step, that family of believers around you will say, let's take one together. We also need to see this, that we have a purpose that pushes us forward. You know why Paul was on the boat in the first place? His purpose. To carry the gospel to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth, and your purpose still remains. In a lot of ways, our purpose can give meaning to the storm. Like, I'm pushing through this, and God's gonna use this. I trust in his sovereignty that somehow on the other side of this storm, he's gonna use it for good. I'm out of time, but I want to share one more thing with you because I felt like this. It was on my heart this week to share it. Um, a few years ago, I went through my own storm. Uh, probably for four or five years, I went through a really dark, deep depression. Some of you have heard about it. A lot of you watched me walk through this. It was a deep Dark place, darker than I'd ever been, darker than I ever cared to go to again. If you've never had depression and that type of struggle with mental illness, then it's hard to understand, and I, and I get that. And that's not to shame you. Like, you don't understand. No, I'm just saying, it's just hard to understand, right? Um, if you're someone who lives with or is close to someone with depression, some type of mental illness, Sometimes it's a struggle to even know what to do. I know this from my wife. This is what I would tell you. Be present. Be present. You don't have to have all the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to be able to understand everything. But be present. The thing I would tell you in my case was it was deep. It was dark. And I didn't think I was coming out of it. There were a lot of days that I could hardly get out of bed. There were days when I would come into the office and I could barely do anything more than pick my head up off the desk. There were days that I beat myself up because I couldn't do more. I couldn't be the husband I knew I should be and, and do the things I wanted to do for, for Susan. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do for my boys. do the things I wanted to do for the people here and our staff. And it was hard. There were days I'd stand at our window in our bedroom 
And I look out the window and I thought life was over. I didn't think I'd make it. I know in Christianity, like, there's a stigma with mental health. And a lot of times we're afraid to admit it. We're ashamed to deal with it. Because we're supposed to just have the joy of the Lord. And I don't discount that, but this is what I'm telling you. There are times you can be in situations that you just, it's almost impossible to grab hold of that. In Christianity, you're not supposed to need medicine for depression, right? I'll be honest with you, I took enough medicine probably to fill up a a 50-gallon drum trying to find something that would work. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I'll be honest with you again, I still take medicine. I don't have to take what I did, but I still take it. I don't talk about this as much as I used to because I, I don't struggle as much, but you need to understand it's still a battle. It's still a storm that comes back at times. Listen, if you had something wrong with your kidneys or liver or heart or whatever, would you not take medicine for that? If you had the flu, would you not take something to help? Well, your brain's an organ too, right? And here's the thing I wanna encourage you with. Don't walk in shame if you have a struggle. Maybe it's not a mental health, maybe it's not depression. But if you have a struggle, listen, don't you walk around in condemnation and shame. Continue to walk in faith. And I don't know, this is just something that's been on my heart and and I really want to encourage you with this. If you're considering taking your life, don't do it. Don't just quit. God hasn't quit on you. And don't you quit. You keep taking one step at a time. The only way you don't get through it is if you quit. You trust in God's ability to do for you what you can't do for yourself. You let the family of believers surround you. And when you don't have faith for yourself, let them have faith for you. But don't you quit. Storms are going to come, and there'll be other days that I need you to hold me up. But today, I want you to be encouraged. Don't quit. Keep stepping in faith. 
lean into the Lord and allow him to give you the strength to continue. Father, we thank you this morning that storms can come, Lord, and some storms will come. Lord, and things will happen. But God, I do believe your word is true that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because you've overcome the world. Our residence, Lord, is in another place, a place that's secure and strong, that can't be shaken. And God, I thank you for that. Thank you, God, for the good news, this message of the gospel, that we can have forgiveness of sins. That God, by faith, by trusting in your ability, we are saved. By faith, trusting in your ability, we're strengthened. And we can walk this life out, Lord, with you. Lord, I pray for the people here who are in a storm. Lord, would you encourage them by your spirit? Lord, overwhelm them with the power of your grace, with your ability, God. Overwhelm them, Lord, with your love and peace. Give them strength, Lord, to take another step, to just to keep, just to keep stepping, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to fulfill all your promises. It's those that we trust in and those that we lean into today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.